You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. We're going to dive into a subject. Actually, uh, Jason kind of spoke to that singing uh, today through some of our songs. We, we sang about the faithfulness of God, and uh, today that's actually where I want to focus in on today. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7 chapter 7. Jacob did a great job last week. I heard from so many of you. uh, One thing the pastor always has to do when the youth pastor preaches is he has to correct some heresy. Uh, and, and one of the only thing that I have to correct is Jacob did say that he beats me all the time in pickleball. And, uh, and, and so I just have to set the record straight. He only beats me most of the time in pickleball. <laughs> all right. Deuteronomy chapter seven, verse nine says, therefore know that the Lord, your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. God, at the beginning of his, his reintroduction to a new generation in Israel, introducing himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, now is speaking to the generation who had received the Ten Commandments, who would come out of Egypt and out of slavery, and uh, was being prepared as they were brought through the wilderness into the promised land that God had always uh, wanted to give them. And God is introducing, and, uh, and, and for this generation, reintroducing himself, and he lets them know, this God, the Lord your God, he is a faith God. I am a faithful God. And if you want to know something about the nature of God, the Bible is how we discover and know the nature of God. We find out who he is. Uh, we see what God's like. We see it in the person and revelation of Jesus as he reveals the heart of God. We see throughout the scripture, the different verses that highlight certain aspects of his nature. Uh, if, if I was to describe a person in this room to you, I would describe maybe the, the way uh, they, they, they smile, the way they carry themselves, the, the way they they have joy or uh, the way they are, are, are a good friend or, or, or show up when you need them. You know, it's, there's, there's things about people that we describe. There's characteristics that we describe about those that we love and care about. And uh, God's no different. The, the Bible says that God is love. Uh, love is, I think, one of the most key attributes of God, that it's what, it motivates what he does, but it's who he is. And God's love is, is far surpassing any love that we see defined in the world. It's a love that lays its life down for us. It's a, it's a, it's a love that sent Jesus to go to the cross, to take our sin, the very thing that had separated us from God, and take it upon himself and pay the price so that we could be forgiven, free, and have a relationship with the God that we had run from our whole lives that God loved us and he pursued us. And if you want to know what God's like, look at the cross, look at the love of God displayed. I love this quote I came across this week from Augustine. It says that God loves each of us as if there was only one of us. God loves the world, but he loves you. He loves you personally. God's love is a major attribute of his character. It defines who he is. He tells Moses in the book of Exodus that uh, part of his nature is his goodness. When Moses asked to see his glory, have God reveal himself, God says, I'm going to make all my goodness pass before you. If you want to describe God, you can describe it in a very simple song that's repeated throughout the Bible. The Lord is good. His mercy endures forever. God's nature is his goodness. He's also just. He's perfectly just. And because he's perfectly just, it means he makes wrong things right. And and God sets in order things that are out of order, out of his intended design, out of his goodness. Sin has caused corruption and destruction in the world. 
And, you know, when it comes to the justice of God, sometimes people like to avoid that idea. But listen, if you've ever been wronged by somebody, you want justice to happen. You want there to be some kind of vindication. You want wrong things to be made right. And uh, if, 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 there's no, if there's no reconciliation or there's no justice in that, you feel, you feel slighted, you feel shorted, and God is perfectly, truly just. He's merciful. God's mercy abounds. It's who he is. He delights, it says, in showing mercy. He's holy. Holiness is the beauty of God, that God is totally and completely set apart, even though God has drawn near and God has sent Jesus, that this God is holy. And uh, it's, it's one of the aspects that caused the angels to constantly sing out and cry out in worship every time they behold the majesty of who God is, because he's not like anything else in all of the, the world that he's created. He's holy. He's amazing. He's unchanging. It's one of the aspects of the nature of God that I actually uh, believe is, is, is important for us to know because we live in a world that's constantly changing. I mean, just in the last four or five years, the world around us has changed dramatically and often not for the better. And we live in a world with people because we're people that are constantly in change. And change is an aspect of, of life, but God who created everything is uncaused and is unchanging. He says, I am the Lord who does not change. And that should be reassuring for you because you don't have to wake up one day and wonder, has he stopped being good? Has he stopped being loving? Has he stopped being just and faithful? Has he stopped being merciful? He's unchanging. And I think that of all of these attributes put together is what leads us to what I want to talk about. And that's the faithfulness of God. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship, the relationship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Second Timothy in chapter two, Paul said this to his spiritual son at the end of his life, reminding him of instruction to the church. He said, this is a faithful saying. If we died with him, if we shall also live with him. In other words, if we give our life, lay our life down for Jesus, give our life to Jesus, we will be raised up with him. He says, if we endure, we'll also reign with him. If we deny him, he'll deny us. If we are faithless, listen to this, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. There's two things that I believe reveal above all else the, 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 the faithfulness of God. One's his character. It's just an attribute of who he is. The second is the covenant of God. God has committed himself to covenant. Covenant is a word that's largely fallen out of our usage and culture. And so we've replaced it with contracts. We've replaced it, you know, and a contract is, is an agreement between two parties, but it doesn't cost everything. It usually has a partial cost, but a covenant is very different. A covenant, at least on one side, has to involve giving everything. In a marriage covenant, both parties, both the, the husband and wife, give everything to each other. And that's the, the closest thing we see in the world today of, of a marriage covenant, of a covenant. But a covenant is what God designed to reveal himself to his people. In fact, the Bible, you'll never understand the Bible apart from covenant relationship. A covenant is a promise where God has committed himself and everything he is and everything he has to see his covenant fulfilled. Some covenants are conditional some are unconditional. God made a covenant with Abraham one day. Abraham is talking about the promises that God would give him this land of Canaan and, and would provide generations after him a place and a home. 
And, and Abraham says to God, how shall I know that this thing will be? And God says to him, I'm going to let you know by entering into a covenant with you. Isn't it amazing that the God who formed the heavens and the earth would, would in a sense, lower himself to commit himself to a covenant? Where he's saying, I'm all in for you. And God guaranteed his promise by a covenant. And in a covenant, there would often be, in fact, all biblical covenants generally had a sacrifice. Something would die as a sign of the covenant. They would have a meal as a sign of fellowship, celebrating the terms of the covenant. God did this with Abraham. God would do this throughout Israel's history. But we see all the way to the time where Jesus comes. Jesus comes and initiates a new covenant. And what died in that covenant was God sent his own son to lay his life down and shed his blood to ratify a new covenant with better promises. That God reveals himself and commits himself to you and to me. I love this, Psalm 89, verse 33. Nevertheless, my loving kindness I will not utterly take from him. Speaking of a covenant God made with David and the generations that would come after David, God says, I'm not going to take it from him nor allow my faithfulness to fail. Isn't that amazing? He says, my covenant I will not break. See, we're used to people making promises and not keeping them. Making promises out of a moment of, of feeling and joy and, and happiness and, 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 and covenants are easy when you, it, it feels easy. When you like it, when you're all getting along. But every relationship is tested. And a covenant is what keeps the relationship together long after feelings or circumstances or, 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 the, or even the people themselves experienced change. And God commits himself and he says, I don't change, neither do I break my covenant nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. That's good news, church. Because your salvation depends on God keeping his covenant. Your forgiveness and redemption depends on that. First John 1, 9 says if, that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, it says this, he's faithful and he's just. He's just because the price has already been paid for your sins. Jesus died on the cross for you. And he's faithful because he keeps his word. And so we can come to Jesus. We can come to God through Christ and receive forgiveness of our sins, receive a hope and a future and a promise. And he's faithful. That's good news, church. Isaiah 54, God committing himself to his people. He says, for this is like the waters of Noah to me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth, so I have sworn that I would not be angry with you nor rebuke you. For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has mercy on you. That word peace there is a word in Hebrew, shalom. It's a beautiful word. It means more than just the end of a conflict. That's what peace usually means for us. Like if we have peace in our home, everybody's kind of getting along. Has that ever happened for you guys? It's just one of those moments. I got three kids and it feels like those moments where it's quiet, there's peace. But I know they're up to something. No, I'm kidding. But, but we found those moments where we, 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 peace is not just the absence of a conflict. In fact, biblically speaking, shalom means wholeness. It means completeness. It means nothing is missing. 
according to God's plan and design. So, so it, it deals with your heart, it deals with your mind, it deals with your emotions, it deals with your spiritual life, it deals with your well-being, it deals with your healing. God makes a covenant of peace, of wholeness, of freedom, and he commits himself to accomplish it. I've got three points for you today that'll help us to walk in and experience the faithfulness of God in every area. The first one is this, remember the faithfulness of God. Remember the faithfulness of God. I, I think one of the most well-quoted or often quoted passages about God's faithfulness is right here, Lamentations chapter three. And listen, Lamentations is probably not at the high end of your Bible reading list right now. <laughs> by definition, it's, it's, it's written by the, who, the man Jeremiah who's known as the weeping prophet. And, and it, it's about a lament. It's about grieving. It's about crying out because of the state of the nation that had been far from God and, and mourning the situation. And Jeremiah actually says that I, I've become weary. I've become empty. I've become discouraged. I, 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 I've about given up. And, and here's what he says in Lamentations 3.18, my strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. You ever felt like that? Like you just feel like you're at the end of yourself? Everything you thought would work a certain way just didn't work, and, and the people you thought would be there didn't, aren't there anymore, and, and things just didn't happen the way you expected, and you find yourself saying, my strength and my hope are gone. I have no more ability. I can't do it anymore. I have no more hope that things will be different. Remember my affliction and my roaming, the wormwood and the gall, the bitterness, and here's what he says, though, and this is what I love, because God doesn't leave us in that place, but we do have a choice to stay in bitterness and hopelessness, or we can put our trust and remembrance of the faithfulness of God. And here's what Jeremiah does. He says, my soul still remembers. My soul still remembers and sinks within me. This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. Sometimes you just got to remind yourself. You got to remind yourself of the word of God. You've got to remind yourself of the promise of God. Do you know why the faithfulness of God is so important to me? Because my feelings are not faithful. <laughs> my circumstances aren't faithful. And, and, and there's lots of things in our lives that may not be faithful, that are not unchanging, that are not staying the same. And yet in the midst of it, I have a rock and so do you that's unfailing that doesn't give up, that doesn't quit, that doesn't have good days and bad days, that stays the same, who's always our foundation, who's always our hope, who's always working all things together for our good. And we've got to remember, he says, I recall this to mind, therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies we're not consumed because his compassions do not fail. They fail not. They are new every morning. Great he, he, he goes through this, just reminding himself. And then out of that comes an expression of worship. Great is your faithfulness. He's overcome with it. He's overwhelmed by it. His, his, his focus has turned from lament and weeping and mourning and grief and bitterness to now hope. Great is your faithfulness. Psalm 37.3 says to trust in the Lord, do, dwell in the land and do good, and feed on his faithfulness. Well, how do we do that practically? Well, I believe we start, of course, with God's word. As we spend time in the word of God, we remind ourselves of how good he is, how faithful he is. Because listen, our, our own self-dialogue sometimes can be discouraging. 
complaining and worrying and struggling and overthinking some stuff. Any overthinkers in here? Three of us, okay. Some of you are overthinking whether or not you're an overthinker. (laughs) And God, in the midst of it, provides for us exceedingly great and precious promises revealing who he is. And we need to remind ourselves of those. As we walk with God, we develop a history and we see the testimonies of what God does. That's just a story. As we see lives, lives impacted, we, we prayed and, and God answered that prayer. We, we asked God and he met a need. I remember, I, I've told this story before, but when I was a college at ASU, I, I had a, a class, I had, it was a biology class where uh, the professor opened the class day one by saying, if you believe in the Bible, you're a fool. So that was fun. And, and, uh, and, and but interesting, so, you know, in the midst of the class, um, in the midst of the class, I remember there was this test, it was a, one of those paper bubble tests, you know, and, and I had to take this test, and you have to have a pencil to fill in the bubble, and uh, I was notoriously at that stage in my life unprepared, and so I showed up with a pen, not a pencil, and I'm asking everybody around me, like, do you have a pencil? And they still said no. So I panicked, and like any good college student, I booked it to find a pencil. And so I go running across, because basically they said, if you're not in here by a certain time, we're shutting the doors, and you'll fail your test. So, so I'm, I'm running to the other side of campus. I'm going to the bookstore where I can buy an ASU pencil for about $45. And I, I run to the other side, and the bookstore's closed, and I'm thinking, God, I have no idea what I'm going to do. And I'm literally like maybe six months into following Jesus. And I thought, well, I can ask. And, and I love this. Now, now, listen, in life, I've had some, like, serious things to ask God for. But I found out in that moment that was a big deal at the time for me, that I could ask God and he would be there. And I literally asked God, I said, God, I know you're my provider, and I'm not going to worry. I need a pencil. And I asked him for pencil. And I kid you not, this God's honest truth. I look down. I look, I'm, I don't know why you look up when you pray. I look up. God, give me a pencil. I look down. And there's not one. There's a pile of golf pencils that the library hit, like, it, it literally just sitting there on the floor. And so not anticipating that I might break one, I grabbed one. (laughs) But I actually kept that with me for years as a reminder that God would be with me in the big things and in the little things. And I found his faithfulness there. And so years later, when I had some serious big issues that were in some cases major, major life decisions, major problems that I couldn't fix on my own, I knew that God was faithful and he was the same. And I remind myself of how he had been there and how he would be there still. Number two is remind God, remind God of his promise. That may seem strange to some of us because we know that God's infinite and God doesn't forget his promise. But throughout the Bible in prayer, you'd see often, uh, for, for example, Luke 1, John the Baptist's father is praying and he says this, that God, you would remember your holy covenant, verse 72, that God would perform mercy, promise to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. See, God, ha- God doesn't remember because he's forgotten. But biblically speaking, it's God calling to mind and it's used to remind God of his promises what prayer looks like. And often I think that's more about us than it is even about him. That we're reminding God, we're saying to God in prayer, not on the basis of our feelings or our worries or our fears, but on the basis of his promise. We say, God, here's what your word says. God, you are faithful and just to forgive. You are my provider. My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. And I'm coming to God, reminding God of his promise. And God is faithful to fulfill his word. The third and final point is to walk in faithfulness ourselves. 
to walk in faithfulness. And I won't spend a lot of time on this, but I want us to look at a few things because faithfulness in our lives is a reflection of what God has done in our lives. The God who fulfills his word says in Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Be faithful with what God's given you. Hold on to it. Hold on to your confession of hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Third point is to walk in faithfulness. What does biblical faithfulness look like in my life and yours? I think it's exemplified beautifully in the story of a woman named Ruth. Ruth is a Gentile. She's not an Israelite. She's not a a Jewish woman. She's a Gentile. So she's outside of the covenants of God with Israel. And in the story of Ruth, it opens by saying that Naomi, who had become her mother-in-law, moves with her husband and her two sons to the land that Ruth is from. And when they move there, they've moved there because of famine, because there's no bread, because uh, they've, they've run out and they're starving and they go somewhere, even if, it's, even if it's the land of the Gentiles, even if it causes compromise, they're willing to find somewhere else to get their needs. So they moved to Moab. And as they go there, it says in the course of time that they take two wives, that, that each of her sons take each wife, and Ruth is one of them. But Naomi's husband dies, and Ruth's husband dies, and the other, Orpah, her husband dies, the other daughter-in-law. And Naomi, empty and weary and depleted, hears that Bethlehem, her homeland, has bread again. And she packs up and she gets ready to leave. And she tells Ruth and she tells Oprah, she tells her two daughters-in-law, I'm too old to have any more sons for you. There's, there's, no, there's no answer. There's no hope where I'm to, to be able to provide a future for you. So you stay here among your people. Get married here. Don't move with me. And while they're sad to see her go, Orpah just says, okay, and she leaves. But Ruth says something that I think displays what real biblical faithfulness looks like. And I want to read this to you. Ruth chapter 1, verse 12. Naomi says, turn back my daughters, for I'm too old to have a husband. And if I should have hope, uh, if I should even have a husband tonight, should I also bear sons? Would you wait for them till they're grown? Would you restrain yourselves? No, my daughters, for it grieves me much for your sakes. That the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices. They wept again. Orpah kissed her mother, but Ruth, Ruth clung to her. And she even tells her, she says, look, your sister-in-law is gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth says to her, entreat me not to leave you, nor turn back from following you. For wherever you go, I will go. Where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. See, Ruth is faithful. And if you look at the rest of her story, I'd encourage you to read it on your own. God uses her faithfulness to not only restore Naomi's future, but her own. And she becomes a part. She becomes part of the lineage of King David and ultimately the Messiah. But God redeems her story. A woman who is outside of the promises and and outside of the, the covenants of Israel, God uses her heart, her faithfulness, See, faithfulness is often the difference between those that last and those that don't. Faithfulness is the difference between those that find hope and healing and often those that quit. 
that allow bitterness to poison their hearts, that allow circumstances to define them. And I believe the church in a culture that has largely abandoned the principle of faithfulness, we need more than ever before to be a people who are faithful. We need to be a people that are faithful to the word of God. We say in our, as a church, the Bible is our foundation. That's important, church. We never, ever want to move away from this. You know, they, they, they say that denominations, some and, and some churches, many churches in America are, are dying, but it's where the Bible has been abandoned. Because God's not going to bless great ideas in organizations, he blesses his word and he looks for faithfulness to his word. And the only thing that I can build my life on and the only thing we can build our family on and the only thing that can, that can be uh, the strength of our marriage and, and uh, is the word of God. So we want to be faithful to God's word. We want to be faithful with what God's given us. That's what it looks like to be a steward. It means that God's given you relationships and people in your life and he's given you opportunities and our jobs even and He's given us all kinds of things in our life that we need to recognize that it comes from God and we need to be faithful with it. You know what I love about the Bible? It says that the one who's faithful with little, he uses a parable of, 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 of stewards. They're, they're given a little bit and they're faithful with it. And God says, I'm gonna make you a ruler. God, God promotes faithfulness. God promotes faithfulness. And so in our lives, wherever we need to be faithful, I want us to kind of return to that, keep that, knowing that it's ultimately not, you know, sometimes we think, well, when, when people agree with me, I'll be faithful. <laughs> when I have my way, I'll be faithful. But the faithfulness of God looks like this. I'm committed to you. I'm in covenant with you. And God made a covenant with us regardless for us to receive that promise, receive the covenant, we have to put our faith in Jesus. But it wasn't based on whether or not we had earned it or we were good enough, but he gave us Jesus. I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet. I wanna pray with you today. The end of the Bible, it says that those who are with the lamb are called you're called by God. Do you know that? You have a calling from God. Like God created you for a purpose before you even drew your first breath. You had a calling from God. He says they're chosen. It doesn't matter who's rejected you when you know you're chosen. <laughs> it doesn't matter who's left you when you know you're chosen. He says they're called chosen and faithful. There's a lot of stuff I've gotten experience in life just because I didn't quit, not because I was the most qualified. And, and I just tell you, faithfulness will outlast. Let's be faithful with the right thing, with the God thing. Let's be faithful with the relationships God's placed in our life. Because I believe that that's, you know, one day, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to account for how I took care of God's daughter, my wife. That's how I approach marriage. It's not about, what, about me. It's about 
recognizing I'm a steward of that. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a steward of my kids. They're not for me. They're, they're for God. They're his. Everything that God's placed in my life and yours, we need to recognize we're being faithful with what's God's. That's so important. That's so important. Let me pray with you. I'm asking you to bow your heads, close your eyes. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.